Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports, episode number 159. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed Super Wild Card Weekend. And uh, quite a weekend it was, to be honest. Still getting used to Monday night playoff football, but we got some pretty good games, and we're going to break down each and every one in this week's episode. You know how we get started. We're going to go right in to my standout seven. Before we jump straight into the playoff action, though, we've got a coaching carousel update. Quite a few of them, to be completely honest. Let's get started straight away. We've got the Baltimore Ravens firing their offensive coordinator, Greg Roman. And I would file this under, and look, I know there's been some frustration from the Baltimore Raven fan base, but realistically, this guy's been the OC for four years. Is it a matter of, oh, well, it got stale. Well, I mean, Lamar Jackson won MVP with him as offensive coordinator. In terms of points scored, I mean, first in the league in 19, seventh in 20, 17th and 19th now, stats by pro football reference as usual. Um, was the passing offense tremendous? No, it really wasn't. And for three of those four years, they were near the bottom of the pack in passing yards attempts, passing yards and passing attempts. So it is what it is, but the running game was pretty darn good for all four years. Obviously with Lamar Jackson at the helm, that's the way it is. The reason I say something had to be done is because realistically, Someone had to catch the blame for the uh, way the Baltimore Raven, Ravens season played out, right? It, it's just a matter of fact, and that happened. You know, we'll get into their playoff game, but they still wound up a playoff team despite the fact their starting quarterback played 12 games yet again. For the second consecutive season, he played pretty well, 8-4 and four this year, 7-5 and five last year, played worse last year, and down the stretch when they needed their star quarterback, he was unable to be on the field for them. You know, I'm not saying he was not trying to uh, go the Sammy Watkins route and say he was holding back on the team, but the matter of fact is he wasn't on the field. They had to play Snoop Huntley in their biggest game of the year, and he almost pulled it off. Makes you wonder, could they have done it with Lamar? Going into this game, I would have said no, but coming out of it, I'm not sure. More head, excuse me, more coaching changes from playoff teams. Tampa Bay firing Byron Leftwich as their offensive coordinator. I thought this was odd. Um, I thought Leftwich would be the de facto head coach after Arians. They went bowls, presumably because he has more coaching experience. The offense was not as good this year, and I don't think anyone would make that argument. I mean, the team didn't even go 500. They wind up having a not-so-great showing in their playoff game, though all things considered. They're facing a team that's a 12-win team that's a wild card, and they couldn't get to 500. So maybe things went as they should, if we're being completely honest. Next up, speaking of home playoff losses, the Minnesota Vikings fired their defensive coordinator after just one year on the job, which was a little intriguing. Ed Donatell, who's been around for a while, first year in Minnesota, spent three years prior, three seasons prior in Denver. Uh, That was after a layoff in his coaching career NFL-wise. But in terms of a coordinatorship, but he'd always been, you know, secondary coach and things like that. So was it the Vikings' defense's fault that they lost? 
Probably not, but you take a look at their numbers. You know, in terms of yardage, 31st in the league. Points allowed, 28th in the league. It's not what you want. Um, And the defense certainly could have made more plays in that game against the Giants, which we'll get into in a sec here. Try not to spoil the uh, game-by-game breakdown we've got queued up. Um, Another report, the Detroit Lions' Ben Johnson who was a hot name early in the coaching cycle, is reportedly going to turn down some opportunities, at least potentially, to become a head coach. The uh, rumor floating around is that he wants to stay in Detroit with Coach Campbell and what they've got going there, and he doesn't really like, I guess, the opportunities being offered to him or doesn't like the idea of moving to a new town to start over, perhaps as the head honcho. So I can respect it, you know, it's his life, so good for him. And then... Additionally, more on the disappointing side of things rather than playoff or playoff close-ish teams like Detroit, the LA Rams reportedly making at least eight changes on their coaching staff at smaller positions like assistants and uh, some position coaches perhaps, which is intriguing. You know, there was the murmuring that Sean McVay would hang him up and evidently he did not, so here they are. You'd assume... At least I thought that he would come back as well, but that's not the case. So, excuse me, the assistants would come back with him, but that's not the case. Um, And before we jump straight in to the playoff games, I want to go a little on the Lamar Jackson thing that's floating around here. After the playoff game, there was some some frustration from J.K. Dobbins saying that, you know, maybe he should have been given the ball a little bit more as their lead back in a playoff game. Uh especially in a game where it really was decided down at the goal line, right? That big fumble by Tyler Huntley, which was a tremendous play by Logan Wilson to knock it out, and then Hubbard to run it back. That was the play of the game, right? And that doesn't happen if you're just handing the ball to Dobbins. Dobbins goes 13 carries for 62 yards in this one. Ed in the four snags for 43, 17 touches for 105. Maybe he's frustrated Gus Edwards got 12 carries for 39 yards when he was ripping it off at a little bit bigger clip. I don't know. Um, Maybe just thought in general they should have ran the ball a little bit more. I mean, they attempted, you know, 29 passes, not including plays where there were sacks recorded, which would push it into about 31 here. It's, It's not a tremendously high amount, but it's high considering it's a backup QB on the road against the defending champion of the conference. Um... I can understand it. And then there was some cryptic social media posting from Lamar Jackson, which prompted Coach Harbaugh to come out and give, I guess, a vote of confidence or maybe a a status update from his perspective that Lamar Jackson is the quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens moving forward, which, yeah, I I tend to agree. The biggest issue, I guess, obviously is going to be the money and the money and the money, but making the assumption that the money's going to be there for Lamar Jackson as... He's one of the most dynamic players in the league, and realistically, what's Baltimore going to do if they were unable to agree to a long-term deal with him? Let's play devil's advocate here and say the money's there and he re-signs. The biggest issue, and one that is harder to resolve than the contractual dispute, is, plain and simple, keeping Lamar Jackson on the field. Two years in a row, the Baltimore Ravens, through 12 games with Lamar, were in playoff contention. Last year, they end the season on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 game losing streak. 
They lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers in week 13. We'll take a look at that game real quick. 20 to 19. 20 to 19. Lamar goes 23 of 37, a touchdown and a pick, 55 on the ground. Then they take on I'm sorry, Ravens fans, but it's got to be done. Then they lose a game to the Browns by two. This is the game where Lamar winds up exiting with injury. Then you have 31 to 30 against the Packers. They get blown out by the Bengals. Lose to the Rams by one. Lose to the Steelers by a field goal. And you could say, Nick, look, we're, we're a handful of points away, man. We're right on the edge. But I remember last season the fact that Kansas City lost to them 36-35 because of a fourth quarter fumble late in the game. Otherwise, they would have lost that game as well. I remember them winning on a late field goal against a Detroit Lion team that was meh at best. So you're, you're telling me, oh, well, we could have easily won 10 games. You could have easily lost 11 or 12. Sometimes the ball will bounce against you all season. Look at look at the Raiders from this year. That team just didn't have it this year, right? Everything that could have gone against them went against them, save for the play against New England. They end the year 6-11. and 11. Take a look at their losses. 5 points, 6 points, 2 points, 1 point. You know what I mean? A touchdown, 5 points again, 1 point again, a field goal, 3 points, before the inevitable blowout at the hands of Kansas City. So, it's going to be hard, and that's something that has been getting discussed for years. I mean, this is probably all the way back to Vic, but in the more realistic, recent sense, it's a Robert Griffin issue, right? Thankfully, for Lamar's sake, at the NFL level at least, he hasn't sustained an injury as significant as that of Robert Griffin's ACL tear and then additional knee injuries, but you have to keep your quarterback as protected as possible. That's been the name of the game for pocket passers for, what, 30, 40? You know, how far back are we going to go in terms of years? So, you know, strong left tackle, and it's the foundation of your quarterback's blind side. Well, if your QB has their game built around moving the pocket and moving themselves and getting hit and trying to evade tacklers, they're going to be more prone to injury just by default. And, you know, you can't take that away from Lamar's game because that's what makes him dynamic. I heard someone suggest, oh, well, he could just go be a pocket passer against the Bengals. I don't think that would have went very well to begin with. I mean, look, Lamar's not a bad pocket passer, don't get me wrong. Don't let me make you think that I'm knocking him as a pocket passer. He's pretty talented, but it's like telling Cam Newton back on the Panthers, just stand in the pocket. That's not what makes them great. The versatility and the threat of running is what makes them great, right? Just like if you told Peyton Manning, oh yeah, we're going to run a whole bunch of pistol and you're going to be moving the pocket everywhere. It's not going to be the same level of production. It's just not the right scheme, right? So, Raven fan, that's going to be the big problem. And look, we won't even have the discussion. Maybe we'll do it in the offseason when we've got time to kill. We won't have the discussion about, oh, where could Lamar go? He can go wherever he wants. If he's going to hit the trade market, anyone that has, what, any one of 20 teams, maybe, could improve their quarterback play by adding Lamar Jackson, 25 so you want to say the Jets? Oh, sure. Why not? You want to say, oh, well, the Bears got the number one pick. Why don't they just throw it all at him? I mean, that's bizarre, but sure. Why not? How about the Colts? Yeah, sure. Why not? Everyone would improve by having Lamar Jackson. We won't go there. I'm operating under the assumption he's going to be a Baltimore Raven next season, unless we have a Le'Veon Bell sort of holdout situation brewing, 
which I don't believe we do. We'll find out as we get going. So that's number one. That's your news and notes, so to speak, of the week. And now let's get straight in to our playoff action. We'll go chronological, because why not? Our first game from Super Wildcard Weekend was San Francisco, Seattle, and... Honestly, at halftime, this had upset vibes maximum, right? San Francisco up 10 early, and you're like, oh, here comes the blowout. And then all of a sudden, it's 14-13. Okay, well, it's going to be 14-13 going into halftime. Oh, no, it's 16-14. Look at that. Oh, okay, San Francisco fought back. Still wanted to show that they're on top. And then one of the weirdest coaching decisions in terms of special teams I've seen in, in a minute here is... Kyle Shanahan, or the special teams coordinator of San Francisco, if he's going to delegate it, opting to go for a squib kick with a little bit of time left on the clock, leading to a Geno scramble and a, a roughing call, which was, eh, you know, 17-16 um, at half. Geno winds up getting strip-sacked later in that second half. It's 23-17 late in the third. They get the ball back off that, and the wheels kind of fall off. San Francisco scores 25 in the second half. Um... Seattle fans, you guys had a great year. You did the most you could reasonably have done. Um, would it have gone better if you had matched up against a team like Tampa Bay? Probably, but you didn't win enough games for that. If you want to say, well, if we could have caught the Giants, how would you have done against Minnesota? I don't think this team could have beat Minnesota either, realistically. DK Metcalf had a great game. Geno turned the ball over, but it is what it is. He didn't play poorly. Kenneth Walker didn't play poorly. It comes down to the fact that Christian McCaffrey had a combined 136 yards and Debo Samuel had even more at 165. Um, I've talked about it before. I talked about it when I picked San Francisco to come out of the NFC. The big thing for me was they have two massive X factors that they can put in the backfield. They can put out a wideout and they're comfortable wherever they are and you're uncomfortable wherever they are. It's tremendous. I mean, George Kittle... Two catches for 37 in this one. It's it's hard for me to believe, and I've been saying this for a while now, that, that George Kittle is kind of relegated to an auxiliary piece of an offense, considering his immense talents. But here's where he is. You know, Brandon Ayuk is pretty darn good for a guy that gets the ball maybe two or three times a game some games. Brock Purdy looked tremendous out there. He really did. And uh, I don't think there's much that Seattle could have done short of, you know, breaking some rules and making personnel changes. You know what I mean? In between weeks, making some trades. Um, it was a bad matchup. We saw that when they matched up in the regular season. Unfortunately for Seattle fans, we saw that when they matched up on Super Wild Card Saturday to kick off our postseason. Um, good season for Seattle. I would say dramatically successful at that. I mean, you'd love to, to make a Super Bowl run. You'd love to win some playoff games. But you were a playoff team. Right? Theoretically, based on what I've heard, they're they liked what they saw out of Gino, which makes sense. Um, to the point that he's gonna be their guy now, yeah. Okay. Well, if he's gonna be their guy, then you discovered your franchise quarterback. Oh, by the way, Denver, whose pick you acquired, as well as their young tight end Noah Fant, Denver had an awful season. So you got out early on Russell Wilson, which makes you look even smarter. Tremendous. It's tremendous. And San Francisco, the beat goes on. They're going to have a big playoff game this weekend that we'll get into in a little bit. 
Number three in the standout seven. Let's keep it on Saturday, and let's talk about the Chargers' massive collapse. Uh, oh, we didn't even mention the Chargers also made coaching changes, did they not? I believe they fired their offensive coordinator and or their quarterback's coach. Yes, it was Coach Lombardi that got the axe. And supposedly ownership still very confident in Brandon Staley. Um, sure, let's go with that. This is This was a bizarre game, and this is going to sound like 2020 hindsight. But I was sitting there watching the Jacksonville Jaguars have the worst possible quarter and a half that they could have on the playoff front, right? Deflected interception early. Boom. Chargers in the catbird seat. Eckler, quick touchdown. Okay, can Jacksonville stay composed? No. Boom. Interception again on a fourth down try. And it looked like there was some contact between the DB and the wideout, but nothing was called. And honestly, since Jacksonville won, we don't have to go that far into it. Uh, Jacksonville's defense holds. They're only down 10. You know, another interception for Trevor. And it's like, okay, you're down 17. It's not impossible. Boom. We've got a muffed punt. We've got a fourth interception. And I'm thinking, all right, the wheels are off. The wheels are off. What are we doing here? Then, late in the first half, they score a touchdown. And I'm thinking, all right. I've seen crazy comebacks, regular season, postseason, football, baseball, basketball, gymnastics, whatever, swimming. It's possible. And one team has a head coach who's a Super Bowl champion who has completely turned their culture around overnight in the offseason. Trevor Lawrence, night and day, rookie season to sophomore season. So much to the point earlier in the year, if you've been listening, you saw. If not, I'll fill you in. I called it his second rookie season. It was Ben Simmons-esque, right? The first year didn't count. It didn't count. He didn't play well, but the coaching staff just didn't support him to help him develop. He looked completely different. Well, first half Trevor Lawrence was rookie year Trevor Lawrence. Second half Trevor Lawrence was now Trevor Lawrence. This is a guy that goes from four picks to four touchdowns, and man... Nobody's talking about that missed field goal, by the way, by Dicker the Kicker. Tremendous nickname, but like, dude, your team winds up losing by a point and you missed a field goal. You're the guy. You're the guy that should get a little bit of blame, but it's okay. Um, Weird also in this game, no ejection for Nick Bosa. Or excuse me, Joey Bosa. I thought that was odd. He was flagged twice and both were unsportsmanlike, but I guess they were different unsportsmanlikes. I was not... I was a little confused, I'm not going to lie. And I'm not saying I'm a genius or anything, but I, if I was a little confused, I think there was more than one of me out there. People watching this game going, why is he allowed to get two unsportsmanlikes? Maybe I missed it. Maybe the call wasn't accurate, but uh, it was awful. It was awful. And I said before the game, you know, if they lose and Williams isn't there, is it a fireable offense? I debated it. I thought, uh, you know, I'm not trying to make it seem... Like, I hate, you know, Brandon Staley, but I can certainly get the frustration if, assuming there is frustration among Charger fans. Maybe you guys are happy to have just made the postseason. I doubt it, though. I really, truly doubt it. So, it's a little weird to me that uh, ownership seems to be so steadfast in their support of him. And look, they've been good. They're not a bad team, but... I don't know. I don't know. This was a rough one. This was a heck of a comeback. I think um, 
I think the referees, if I'm being honest, some of the calls went in favor of the Chargers, and they still found a way to blow a giant lead. So it's kind of inexcusable. And considering they're saying Staley doesn't have a hot seat this season, you better bet next season they better win a playoff game. They better win two. Either that or they better win the division in dominant fashion. Otherwise, he's going to be out on the street. Because somebody's going to come in and win the division for this team. Somebody's going to come in and lead this team to success. Somebody's going to come in and not play Mike Williams in a meaningless Week 18 game against the Denver Broncos. That's not going to happen. I can promise you that. A big win for Jacksonville. Also, while we're here, it's pat on the back time. right? We were going to do it later. We'll probably do it again later. 6-0, and Super Wild Card Weekend. If you took my picks, man, to the bank, money line, that's what we're doing here. We're not playing spreads. Different spreads with all these different books. Doesn't matter. We're playing money line. We're keeping it simple. But if you took it to the bank, I mean, damn. I think last postseason I said we were what? We were 10-3? and three, And we're starting 6-0? and oh? We're coming out with heat immediately to start this postseason? Goodness gracious. Goodness gracious. Our next game, number four in the standout seven, was a divisional showdown which had no right to be this close. 34-31 Buffalo. They're up 14-0 at the end of the first quarter. 14-0. What did I say? What have I said all year? What have I said for multiple years? And I'll use my catchphrase. If you weren't around, I'll fill you in. If you were, thanks for sticking around. I've been saying for years now, that the Buffalo Bills need to learn how to run the football. I'm not saying they can't run the football. I'm saying they don't run the football. And I'm not saying, look, oh, just shift it into, you know, shift it into conservative in the second quarter. No. But to have your quarterback go out there and turn the ball over twice and then get stripped late-ish in this game and almost turn the ball over again... I mean, this is why the early career Josh Allen comps were like, what, like Jay Cutler and Brett Favre because he's got a strong arm. And, I mean, he's he's got some damn Favre in him. And I can't really explain it. And I'm not saying, you know, it's a bad thing. Josh Allen is one of the best QBs in the league. He's the best player on the team. He can do what he wants. But sometimes you have to manage that chaos that is brought. Like, I think... That's the difference between someone like Mahomes and and Josh Allen. Mahomes will have some of those times also where he's just throwing the ball all over the yard and it's like, what is going on here? And then there's other times where it looks a little bit more managed. He'll get outside the pocket, he'll look deep, and then he'll go, mm, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take this little four-yard run. How about that? Or he'll drop back and go, ah, let's just throw it to McKinnon underneath here. He'll have those crazy sidearm throws or a no-look pass that gets picked off inevitably as well, but it's really risk management. Like, you you can't. You can't turn the ball over in a game like this where, look, I said going into this game in last week's episode, Miami's going to need three picks out of Josh Allen to have a chance, and I said they might need four, and they almost got it. They did. I mean, look, 352 and three touchdowns is tremendous, but the turnovers can't happen. Great game out of Diggs. Great game out of Davis. Dawson Knox finds the end zone in this one. Cole Beasley finds the end zone. Khalil Shakir drops a big one, but he still winds up with 51 yards. Good for him. Um, 
Singletary ends with 4.8 yards per carry, and he carries the ball 10 times. Because this game became close. This was 14-0, and then it's 20-17 to at half. What is going on? I mean, Skylar Thompson had... Look, the last throw Skylar Thompson made was a catchable ball to Mike Kosicki. Granted, it would have been a hell of a catch. But if we're playing the man's game, it's a catchable ball, right? Either way, where we sit, am I going to rip Coach McDaniel for the uh, time management? I mean, I think he's been ripped enough, but it's fair. It truly is. Clearly, they were having communication issues because they were breaking huddle fairly consistently lower in the play clock than you'd like, I imagine. So I don't know if it was only communication via, like, functioning helmets or headsets or whatever, or it's just damn loud in Buffalo. Point blank, it is damn loud in Buffalo. So, I don't know. It's something that needs to be ironed out, but I'm not going to knock him crazy. They said that it was, he said that it was told to him that it was first down on that last play instead of fourth down. That's a miscommunication that can't happen, but they blew timeouts earlier because of the clock management, and I think part of that is just having Skyler out there that's where part of me wondered what's up with the Teddy Bridgewater thing. I know he was injured. I know it was a hand injury, but I mean, he's a vet. He's played in a playoff game. You remember he was in that game where Blair Wall shanked the field goal. Otherwise they would have won. That was him. Um, is Teddy still that Teddy? Not really, but look, Skylar Thompson tried his best, but he threw the ball 45 times and that's not including sacks. Like we're talking 50 dropbacks. That's not it, man. That's just not it for a third-string QB. The running game wasn't there. They didn't really work in Waddle and Tyreek Hill in the versatile ways that I kind of projected they would need if they were to uh, find a way to wow everyone and pull off an upset. But the, the weird thing is, I mean, they were right in it. They were right in it. It's, you know, one more big play, and that's why I was saying... Get the ball in the hands of your playmakers, but I guess, what are you going to do? Um, it's just odd to me, because McDaniel coming from the Shanahan tree, and then you see in the same weekend, McCaffrey and Debo Samuel moving around, getting the ball constantly, having nothing but success against Seattle. Tougher opponent here, but Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are a dynamic duo in terms of raw athleticism. I don't know. A little rough to see. I'll give Seattle, I give, uh, excuse me, Dolphin fans a similar speech to the one I gave Seattle. You had a good year. You just had bad luck when it mattered here, right? Charger fan, you have every right to be mad. Seattle fan, you're probably, you're disappointed, but it was a good turnout. Dolphin fan, six weeks ago, you were thinking you could be the Dark Horse Super Bowl run Ten days ago, you're thinking, how are we even going to score 20 points, right? I said they might need 35 in this one. They lose 34-31. They put up a good fight, but it just wasn't enough. Next, we move on to number five in the standout. Seven, the New York Football Giants doing what the New York Football Giants do every handful of years. From 07, they did it. In 11, they did it. And here we are. They went every four, and then we took a little time off. You know, 12 years later, Daniel Jones played, I would argue, the best game of his career. I don't think anyone would argue that. Um, 17 carries out of him is kind of ridiculous. 
Saquon Barkley, hey, they remembered and they realized maybe they were sandbagging it the whole year. Hey, we can throw him the football. Hey, he can catch. Hey, oh, he can still juke people. Oh, we can block screens every once in a while. I mean, Barkley only nine carries, but he touches the ball 14 times for 109 in this one. Isaiah Hodgins had a great game. Darius Slayton with a huge drop that we don't have to talk about because Kirk Cousins checked it down on the biggest play of the season. Um, Yeah, we can talk about that. There was not a lot of defense being played in this game. Not at all. Um, Realistically, Minnesota walks down the field to start this game. Giants walk right back down the field. Minnesota gets stuffed on a third down where they try a weird throwback to Kirk Cousins, which seemed very bad idea. It You know, a bad throw there, and you're having a Chandler Jones, you know, remix from that Patriots-Raiders game. Um, Giants get the ball. Boom, 14-7. Almost went up 21-7, but they had an illegal motion down at the goal line. I don't blame Bellinger. I mean, you know, he had the eye surgery. He probably couldn't see what was going on. That's okay. It's completely fine. Um, realistically, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I said before that I get firing the D, the DC for Minnesota because the numbers weren't great, but they were in this game, and I think if they would have won this playoff game, he would not have got fired. I also, I feel for Viking fans because that final play made no sense. TJ Hawkinson was damn near unstoppable in this football game. 10 catches for a buck 29. He came into that last play with 9 catches for about a buck 26, buck 25. You just run him up the seam and just loft the ball up there. He's coming down with it. He looked tremendous. And that's why looking back even, I was surprised the Lions would move him in division because they're going to have to deal with him in Minnesota. And it, it didn't make sense to me. I don't think they got a haul in terms of compensation but, okay, they moved on, and Hawkinson almost single-handedly helped win this playoff game for the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, Justin Jefferson, seven catches for 47. I think the bulk, if not all of that, came in the first half, if not the first three quarters. He was kind of blanked out there, and this is not a giant secondary that is the best in the league. It's just not. I mean, it's it's a Dory Jackson and Wink Martindale with some smoke and mirrors. I mean, they were talking early in the game about how the Giants were in a lot of soft zone. Jefferson was getting some underneath passes. That was it. 31-39, 273 for Kirk Cousins, 15 for 60 on the ground for Dalvin Cook. The Giants did what the Giants... I mean, can you call it an upset when damn near everybody was picking it to happen? I mean, how many times have you seen a team lose outright in the regular season to another team, not in overtime, not in controversy, just lose outright, and they have a rematch a couple weeks later in the winning team stadium, and people are genuinely questioning how the home team is favored. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. Giants went out and took care of business, and uh, if they play like they played against Minnesota, this this is a scary team. This is your dark horse. Right? You want to talk about Jacksonville? Sure, of course. But this Giants team as a wild card team, they don't turn the ball over a lot. They don't. They're going to force you to be as uh, perfectionist as they are. They'll punch you the football. That's not the end of the world. They'll make some, you know, Darius Slayton. They'll drop some balls here and there. They'll make some bonehead plays here and there. I mean, I, I thought the Julian Love tipped interception 
in this game was a pick. They gave it one angle, one replay, overturned it, and moved on. It was kind of odd. I mean, another thing in this game, which was odd to me, is, and it's throughout the league, I just wanted to mention this a little, have you noticed how long they let plays go on when it's a run between the tackles or the linemen are pushing the running back? And I'm not saying this is good, bad, or otherwise. I'm just saying that, like, there's just straight-up rugby scrums allowed in some of these games. Some of the other games, they blow the whistle damn near, you know, one Mississippi and we're done, right? If you're not moving, you're not moving. But, I mean, especially in this Giants game, it seemed like one Mississippi. Oh, see, it looked like he moved a little bit. Two Mississippi. All right, I'm going to get the whistle. Three Mississippi. And then they break three, four yards forward. And it's like, look. If we're going to go to rugby scrums or rugby, you know, sort of rules football, let's do it. But let's be honest about it. Let's let's make it a thing. Forward progress being stopped is a rule. So it, it's, it's kind of odd. I also thought it was weird that this game featured a couple expedited reviews. Maybe I've just been missing them. I think I've seen this a handful of times throughout the year. We saw it a handful of times in this weekend alone. I mean, there was a play where... Minnesota got a first down, and I, I, I called the rugby rules football on that play. They called the first down. They were ready to run the next play. Dayball throws the flag. They overturn it damn near immediately. And it's like, okay, well, if, if you were going to overturn it damn near immediately, why did I have to challenge it? If you were in the booth, you being whoever was the replay official or whatever, if you're in the booth thinking, hmm, that don't look right, why do I have to throw the challenge flag to confirm something that you already know is incorrect? Like, it's it's like one of those, you know, one of those goofs online or one of those memes about, like, talking to the IRS and it's like, how much money do I owe you? It's like, oh, you, you got to file. You got to find out. It's like, oh, what if I get it wrong? Oh, then we'll come after you. So you do know. Yeah, but we can't tell you. Like, what? You watching the replay and you know it's wrong. Just overturn it. What are we doing? And I know it's unrealistic for it to be, you know third down and six in the second quarter of week five, and we got to overturn this and make it third down and four. I get it. Don't get me wrong. The game doesn't need to be longer. We have that problem over in baseball. Everyone talking about shortening the length of the game. I get it. Football's in a good spot. People don't really tend to complain about how long football games are unless they're weird matchups like the ones that have happened on Thursday Night Football this year, and then Al Michaels is realistically the only one complaining. No, but there were plenty of people complaining. Anyway... You get my point. It was weird to see so many expedited reviews crop up in one weekend. Maybe it's a point of emphasis. I know we've heard that over the years certain things have become a, you know, trigger word, a quote-unquote point of emphasis for the league for officiating going into the postseason. Maybe that was the one. I mean, we saw a roughing the passer on Dexter Lawrence late in this game, which was a horrible call. A straight-up awful call. And I know we can't review penalties like that, right? But we're talking a playoff game could be decided. The entire season could change. People's careers could change on a on a, an awful call. Kirk Cousins throwing that check down was a gift to Giants fans and to the NFL that they won't have to hear about that call for the next three months on New York Sports Talk Radio. Speaking of which, while we're here, I'm not going to dunk on Kirk Cousins. We've done it enough on this show. Look, if you've listened the first handful of years, I used to constantly say, today's the day. The Vikings get over the hump. They're going to beat Green Bay. Today's the day. Kirk Cousins gets over the hump. They're going to win in primetime. They don't. So you know what? How many times can I expect something to be different before I just accept it for what it is? This is the biggest game of Kirk Cousins' career, and on the biggest play of his life, he needed 
10, 12 yards. He threw it for three. That's Kirk Cousins' career in a nutshell. He's not a bad player. He didn't cost his team the game, per se. Biggest play of the season. You needed a fourth and long. You threw it three yards, and you moved on. Take your shirt off, wear the gold chain all you want. You're still Kirk Cousins. Number six in the standout seven. Let's talk about those Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. This was a weird game. This is another one. This is, you know, Buffalo played down to Miami. Cincinnati played down to Baltimore. This is a game that should have been a blowout if we're looking solely on paper. And realistically, Baltimore's defense kept them in this game. And, uh, you know, things got a little iffy. We got to talk about the missed PAT for Cincinnati. It wound up 9 nothing instead of 10. You take a look at the final score, it's 24-17. 25-17 is different. How does that impact the decisions being made and yada, yada, yada? Um, man, this was this was a big game for uh, for Cincinnati because if they lost this one, and no one's calling them phony, right? Nobody would have really batted an eye. It would have just been an impressive upset. But the stage is set for Cincinnati-Buffalo and the winner to take on Kansas City. And then the winner of that to take on either San Francisco or Philly or, you know, if you're going down into some dogs, the Giants or the Cowboys. It's set for an epic conclusion to the postseason. If Baltimore would have won, I'm of the opinion Baltimore would have gotten trounced in their next game. That's the opinion I have. Right? We would have had Jacksonville go face Buffalo. I don't think they have it in them to pull off two. You would have had Baltimore go to Arrowhead, and they would have dropped 35 probably in about three quarters, they being the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, yeah. Good on Cincinnati for keeping the script alive, so to speak, but that QB sneak late in the game, I can see why it gets under J.K. Dobbins' skin. I get it. I mean, it's pretty far to run the sneak, and it was really a tremendous play by Logan Wilson, and then a tremendous return by Hubbard to make it all the way down there. They said, I think, I don't know if this is a real stat or not, but I heard that it was the fastest Mark Andrews had ever run on, you know, per AWS or whatever statistics. Fastest he'd ever run on a football field was trying to chase down Hubbard on that 98, 99-yard fumble return, and he just couldn't catch him. Some people said there was a block in the back. Uh, I can see it kind of, but not really. Kind of, but not really, that's what you're getting out of me. Either way, it was kind of tremendous. Um, yeah. You wind up with a fumbled punt later in the game. If you're a Baltimore fan, cheering for this upset. That fumbled punt for Cincinnati that goes out of bounds, that was rough. That was freaking rough. Um, you want to talk clock management again? We've talked about Coach Harbaugh in Baltimore and their not-great clock management previously. That's just not a strong suit of theirs. I mean, what, what am I going to rip him for? The guy's not going to lose his job over it. It's just the way it is. That's why I didn't really get too much into uh, the clock management with Miami either. Miami, at least you have the excuse of, well, first-year coach, and you're on the road, and, oh, it's a third-string quarterback. I mean, Harbaugh's been there and done that. It's the backup quarterback here, too. They're on the road here, too. I can't give a break to one and not the other, especially because I've seen Harbaugh do this before. That's just the way they handle late game. 
right? It winds up fourth and 20. They heave it up. Prochet almost got it. He almost got it. Would Harbaugh have gone for two? I heard that getting floated around. I think he probably would have, if I'm being frank. But then again, after the fumbled QB sneak, maybe not. Maybe you take it to OT. Either way, would have been tremendous. Remember last year, the first playoff game, Raiders-Bengals came down to the wire as well. Almost could have been an OT as well. Cincinnati got a knack for winning these close playoff games. Big game. Big game for them. Number seven and standout seven before we jump in to the pick'em portion of this week's episode. Let's talk Bengals. Excuse me. Let's talk Cowboys-Buccaneers. Just talked about the Bengals. Um, this game was not entertaining. I watched the uh, Manning cast version of it. It was pretty great. No knock on Joe Buck, but I liked having the guests there. A little bit of a little bit of entertainment for a game that was eighteen nothing at half. And honestly, I mean, I guess you could make the argument Tampa Bay tried to make it close on that miracle. You know, they got the onside kick and then they score and then oh, can they get another one? No, thirty-one fourteen. Um, the more interesting things out of this will come in the coming weeks, and we'll talk about it probably post Super Bowl. Is Tom Brady going to keep playing? Should Tom Brady keep playing? Should Tom Brady return to Tampa Bay? Did Tampa Bay kind of botch it by uh, not promoting Leftwich? Did they botch it by firing Leftwich? I don't know. Should you have loved him more or loved him less? Either way, how much credit should Bruce Arians be given that he wasn't before, considering this team went from a Super Bowl winner to 8-9 first-round exit just two years later? Intriguing thought. Intriguing thought. Um, Tampa Bay just, they just don't run the ball, huh? I mean, early in this game, it looked like they were going to, they were going to run the ball a little bit. They really were. And then Tom Brady throws the presumptive jinx red zone interception after they said that he hadn't thrown a red zone interception in like his entire Tampa Bay career. Awful throw. I think he was trying to throw it away. Awful throw. Didn't get enough on it. And yeah, Brady winds up dropping back, uh, what, 70 times in this game? 68 times? Yeah, that can't happen. That's not a recipe for success. Um, Dak does not turn the ball over in this one. He played great. Tony Pollard played great. Zeke Elliott didn't really factor too much, but he didn't need to. Didn't need to. Good game out of Dalton Schultz. C.D. Lamb did his thing. Um, The Tampa defense, I guess they tried, you know. Realistically, they gave up 35 in this game, but four missed extra points will do that to the scoreboard. Weird game. Very weird game. Uh, It's a game that, like I said, it was going to be turnovers that lost the Cowboys the game. If you're not going to turn the ball over, then you can beat this team. You're better than them. Point blank. And uh, point blank was good enough this time. So that'll bring us to the end of Super Wild Card Weekend and take us into our divisional round playoffs in our pick'em portion of this week's episode. Had to go through all the games. We don't get, you know, only but so many games left on the schedule, folks. Got to go through every one. And we went through the coaching carousel. I'm not going to go through, you know, potential coordinator, candidate hires or promotions or demotions or whatever. When they come out, we'll break them down. Till then, we'll keep it straightforward. We'll talk about it and we'll get talking about this week's first game, 4.30 p.m. on Saturday on NBC. The Jacksonville Jaguars head to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Jaguars listing a handful of players as questionable. Trevor Lawrence, once again, still with the toe injury. 
Wide receiver Kendrick Pryor with a shoulder. Jamal Agnew, wide receiver slash special teamer with a shoulder. Offensive lineman Brandon Scherf with an abdominal injury. Another offensive lineman Luke Fortner with a back and long snapper Ross Matisic with a back as well. For the Chiefs, just one, listing Nicole Hardman as out with a pelvis injury. This is a weird one for me. I'm not going to lie to you folks, because I like the idea of the Jaguars kind of miracle run. I really do. People always, people use it for teams that have done it before. Like, oh, look at the Giants. The Giants did this before. Or look, look, Cincinnati, last year they won a close playoff game. It wouldn't be a miracle run, mind you, but they won a close playoff game. And then, oh, they'll go in and beat Buffalo, and then they'll be, they'll go right back to the big game. Oh, look at San Francisco. They've got Brock Purdy. It's like Nick Foles. They've got Brock Purdy. It's like Jeff Hostetler. Nobody's making the Jeff Hostetler reference outside of the tri-state New York area, but had to get it in there. Um, Is this game winnable for Jacksonville? I will give them the win condition that I gave Tampa Bay slash Miami last week. It is going to come down to the defense. Because if the defense can't force turnovers... Kansas City is going to score a lot. And I'm not saying that the Jacksonville Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence can't put up some points. I think they can. We saw last week that they can put up points in bunches relatively quickly. They scored 24 in the second half. They had an awful first half, right? But you don't want to get into a shootout with Patrick Mahomes. You don't want to get into a shootout with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. And for that reason... I don't think Mahomes is going to turn the ball over two, three, four times. And I'm not sure Doug Peterson has enough up his sleeve in terms of special teams. Maybe we're going to see an onside kick or a fake punt in this game. I can almost guarantee that. If we don't see it in this game, it will happen this weekend. I get it. It's not a big prediction out of me. But we will see a fake punt and or onside kick in this game. Because in my opinion, Jacksonville needs the spark. They really do. Give me Kansas City. To win this one at home, even though, quite honestly, the upset would be a little too spicy for me to say I'm not going to enjoy it. Next, Fox 8.15 p.m. on Saturday, the New York football giants head to Philadelphia for the second time in about a calendar month to take on the one-seed Philadelphia Eagles. Giants listing just one questionable pass rusher Aziz Ojolari with a quad injury. It's a big one. It is, because quite honestly, watching a lot of Giants games, as I'm inclined to do, it, Kayvon Thibodeau is trying his darndest, but he's he getting held a hell of a lot, and or double teamed. He, he needs Ojolari on the other side, somebody to clean up the sacks. Can't just all be Sexy Dexy up the middle, which is a tremendous nickname, obviously. Presumably, Sexy Dexy, formerly Sexy Rexy. I've heard it as Rex Ryan, but either way. Um, it can't all be him and Leonard Williams. Obviously, they'll wind up getting called with random roughing the passer calls if they do get sacks, so... It would be beneficial to the Giants to have Ojolari out there. Just one listed for Philly as well. Corner of Ante Maddox going to miss this game with a toe injury. Coming into the postseason, these are the exact matchups I had. Which means I've had time to think about this matchup. Which means I've had time to marinate on the fact that I picked the Eagles to win this matchup. Although... I mentioned last week's episode. If you haven't, I really recommend you listen to it. It was a pretty good one, and we're going to be referencing it all throughout the postseason. Just just skip to the part where we do, you know, the ending part where we predict all the games here. Uh, No, but seriously, it was... Obviously, we're going to have to reference it, because that's when I picked the postseason. Um, 
I had Philly winning this game, though I noted the Week 18 matchup had me concerned. Because, not because I'm going, oh, well, the Giants played the Patriots in 2007 in Week 17, and if look, they almost beat them, and then in the Super Bowl, they beat them. Look at that. It's perfect. It's perfect symmetry, right? It's like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah, you go. You go, George Lucas. No, but in all seriousness... The reason it concerns me is because Jalen Hurts didn't really look like Jalen Hurts. He didn't look bad, but he didn't threaten with the run nearly as much. And they say, well, they were handling him with kid gloves. Well, it's only been two weeks. Like, it hasn't been that long, guys. It's not like this was a Week 12 matchup and now it's the championship game. We're talking a handful of weeks here. Is he going to be healthy enough? to the? Obviously, they're going to have to have him run the ball. Presumably. Right? He's going to have to run the ball for this offense to be what it was all season, which is productive and good at football. Um, The Giants kept it relatively close with Davis Webb and the backups in. And that would scare me a little bit if I was an Eagle fan going into this game. If Hertz was 100%, I would pick Philly to win this game pretty easily. However... Having seen the way the Giants played last week and not having seen a healthy Jalen Hurts in a while, I am actually going to pick the upset here. Is this the homer in me? Probably. Probably. But I'm going to take the New York football Giants to go into Philadelphia and buy themselves a ticket to the NFC Championship game. Next, the matchup we've wanted... Well, for a while, and then we got it, and then, whoa, things got... Well, we all know what happened when we got this matchup. Sunday is going to get started at 3 p.m. on CBS. The Cincinnati Bengals head to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Bengals going to be without two offensive linemen, Alex Kappa at guard with an ankle injury, and Jonah Williams with a knee at tackle. Doubtful, corner Trey Flowers with a hammy. Bills listing just two on their injury report, and they're both D linemen. Daquan Jones with a calf and Jordan Phillips with a shoulder. Both are questionable. I asked this question last week. Will we see DeMar Hamlin? I think we might see him at this game. I think we might. I mean, if if he's healthy and he wants to be there, I think, you know, it's one of those things where he's going to give the boost, right? The momentum boost of seeing him and go, oh my goodness, it's DeMar. Look at that. But it's like the Willis Reed. Right, Willis Reed came out in the biggest game of the year for the Knicks to come out and make that one appearance. He made a couple shots, and then he got out of there. If he went out there and the boost didn't carry them as much as they thought, you can't fire the bullet again. He can't come out in the second half, or he can't come out at halftime. You get one shot. You get one shot. I don't know if you've all, you've all seen The Waterboy. I hope you have. Great film. You get one shot for Bobby Boucher to come back at halftime and help the Mud Dogs win the big game, right? And I'm not trying to go into this any kind of way. I'm just saying, if DeMar Hamlin is going to be at this game, it's going to give Buffalo that big boost, right? Um, realistically, probably wouldn't be a possibility, assuming Kansas City wins, which is a big assumption in the postseason, right? Assuming Kansas City wins, that game would be neutral site. Now, obviously, the big elephant in the room, if you listened last week, and if you didn't, you didn't miss this one. Uh, I was under the impression this would be a neutral site game. I guess not. 
I, I was under the impression that Bengals-Bills would also be neutral site. I mean, why is this game not neutral site, but the other game is? What, you can't get the stadium? Like, what are you talking about? This is the NFL. You're the owners. What are we doing to where you can't have this be neutral site as well? Because if that game would have went off as scheduled, if Cincinnati would have won, they would be the home team in this game. And I'm not, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it was wrong to stop the game. It was correct to stop the game. But it's unfair that Cincinnati, for, you know, agreeing and playing their role and doing the right thing, kind of got penalized here. This game should be neutral. Just like the next one, if one of them plays Kansas City. It's not fair. That's my point. I'm just I'm just putting it out there. Because I'll remind you, last week when I picked these games, I picked the Bengals to win this game because I thought this game would be neutral. And then, I was under the assumption, we'd have Chiefs-Bengals, also neutral. Here we are. This game's going on in Orchard Park. DeMar Hamlin might be there. Right? This could be a huge momentum swing. And we're coming off a game where neither team really looked tremendous. So I'm going to have to flip my pick. I was going to go Cincinnati. I think if we're in a vacuum, which is what I was assuming we'd be in, Cincinnati is the better football team. Just by way of, first of all, the pass rush for Buffalo is going to make Joe Burrow have to dance around a little bit. right? Obviously, Von Miller's not around. He's injured, which plays a huge role. He's been gone for a while now. But Joe Burrow is not as accident-prone, so to speak, as Josh Allen. Whether it be scrambling around and maybe fumbling the ball, scrambling around, maybe catching a little a little hobble, a little limp, or just chucking it deep to chuck it deep. Joe Burrow seems to have the composure a little bit more than that. Right? He has that uh, wily veteran in him for a guy that's only been around a few years. Josh Allen doesn't have that now. I'd be willing to bet Josh Allen probably won't have that in five years. That's not the way he plays the game. It's just the way it is. I think with the momentum, with this game being in Buffalo, with Buffalo, I mean, let's be real, the pressure on their shoulders of being essentially the preseason pick by everybody and anybody to be the best team in the league, they're going to go out and win this game. Will they crumble under it? It's definitely possible. If... Josh Allen throws a first-half interception or two. Cincinnati could put this one away. They really can because I think that stadium's going to lose it a little bit, right? It'd be hard not to considering all the things that would go into the pre-kickoff sort of, uh, not festivities, but histrionics, if you will. I'm going to take Buffalo to win this one, but this is probably the shakiest I've been on picking Buffalo the whole year. Our final game is in late 80s, early 90s powerhouse matchup. The Dallas Cowboys head to Santa Clara, California, 6.30 p.m. on Sunday on Fox to take on the San Francisco 49ers. Cowboys going to be without offensive lineman Jason Peters with a hip injury. Questionable. Safety J. Ron Curse with a knee. 49ers going to be without, obviously, quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo still recovering from a foot injury. And corner Ambry Thomas with an ankle. I'm going to take the 49ers to win this game. And realistically, the reason is pretty simple. Um, I think the 49ers, I mean, they were my Super Bowl pick. I think they might be the best team remaining. I do. 
And am I confident Dak Prescott can have another mistake-free game? I'm not sure. Coming into this year, I thought Dak Prescott was one of the better QBs in the league. You can make the argument he still is. But, I mean, seven straight games with an interception. It's hard to overlook a streak like that. And now, if they're going to make a Super Bowl run, you're going to need him to have another clean game here, another clean game in the championship game, another clean game in the Super Bowl, hopefully, right? Um, it's just too much. Do I think Brock Purdy may get baited into a pick by Trayvon Diggs? I do. Um, he loves to jump routes, and Brock Purdy is a young QB. It definitely could happen. Do I think Shanahan is going to read into that just as much as me and draw up some double routes and get Trayvon Diggs beat deep? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. Um, will the Cowboys compensate by shifting the safety over to help them? Maybe. I mean, it's a whole chess game, you know what I mean? It's hard to break down 17 moves in advance when we don't know what the first one's going to be. But I think the big move out of this game will be the 49ers moving on and hosting the NFC Championship game. I truly do. Right now, best team in the NFC. Um, I think they'll play host to the New York Football Giants, and the Kansas City Chiefs will take on the Bills again, this time neutral site? Question, question mark? I believe it's neutral site. That's the Atlanta game, right? I was under the impression that this... I, it's probably in the description, so you know I was ranting about it, but man, I this Cincinnati and Bills game should be neutral. Like, it's... How is it not fair one week, but fair the next week? That doesn't make any sense to me, and you... I can't understand an argument where they would say it's a logistical problem. I mean, you got one stadium, you can't get another? I, I don't get it. Either way, that'll bring us to the end of the pick'em portion of this week's episode. Let me know what you guys think. Comment section down below if there is one where you're listening, or social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Let me know what you guys are thinking. Who's your final four in the NFL? Who do you have winning? Do you think it's ridiculous that I'm picking the Giants? And I'm not picking any other dogs. Are the Bills a dog? I don't know. I guess not. They're probably at home. Are you on the team Bengals? Are you thinking, you know what, we think we're going to win anyway, despite the fact that it's unfair, we got to go there? Are you a big Jags fan? Like, who isn't, right? A lot of people don't like Kansas City, don't like Patrick Mahomes, probably rooting pretty hard for the long-haired Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson. What's up, Doug Sleeve? We'll find out in a real short time here. That'll do it for this week's episode, episode number 159 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Thank you for joining us. Super Wild Card Breakdown into a divisional weekend preview. Join us again next Friday, and we will talk about these divisional games. We'll dive into the championship weekend. Maybe we'll get into some more news and notes. Week after, we'll go for our... Uh, end of year awards, because that'll be the Pro Bowl week, and then boom, it'll be the Super Bowl in no time. Stick around, folks. This is the fun part of the year. Until next time, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.